All right, all right. So what's up, Point? How we doing? You guys doing all right? Yeah. If I've never met you, I, I, I am Pastor Sean. I am the pastor of uh, our college ministry, and I am excited to have this opportunity to come before you guys and speak. Derek, thank you for giving me this opportunity. And uh, man, I'm just ready to dive in to see what God has for us. I already love high school students so much more because I walked into tonight walked into the Starbucks cafe area and got completely judged right away. And I love that. So I walked in and a girl just calls me out. She's like, dude, you're old. What are you doing here? And I love that because when I'm in the college ministry, I walk into that with my students and they look at me and they go, dude, you're like 19. How are you speaking to us? And so I love the change of pace a little bit to get called old here. I am 27 years old and uh, I have a, they actually have a picture they're going to throw up for you. This is my uh, smoking hot wife, smoking hot baby. She's so cute, love her. And uh, that's a beautiful baby we made. And uh, that is my daughter Ella, and she is two and a half years old. We love her to death. And we have uh, in two weeks, my son will be born. My wife is just under nine months. Yeah, come on. Because uh, we all, I, I, I just love it. I'm excited for that man. That's my family. But my story always wasn't that good. It wasn't. All these cute pictures of girls that I could throw up there that are just my family. It wasn't all good like that. And I want you to hear something. I'm not going to go deeply into my story and what God has done for me, but you need to know this, that in my life, I've been completely, totally separated from God, as all of us have in our lives. I have been, in high school, I, I went through a season of drinking alcohol, getting drunk, going to parties. I went through a season of having sex outside of marriage with girls throughout high school. I was as far away from God as I think you probably ever could. But I only tell you that to tell you this. That the reason I would come up on a stage like this and I would be so excited to speak to you guys is to know that Jesus is more powerful than all that. That he saves. That he took me from this life that was destroyed in high school called me into ministry, restored my life, allowed me to be up at a place like this, gave me a smoking hot wife and a beautiful little girl because he is good, because he is powerful, because he is capable. And tonight I'm excited that we get to sit down and talk about something I had to go through in my own life throughout high school and the college years that was huge, a process for me, and it was in the process of figuring out what do you do in silence? It's a very interesting question. I want to tackle it with you tonight with a theme of one generation away. But before we do, let's, let's just bow our heads and let's pray that God would be here with us tonight and then we will dive in. So Father, we come to you and we simply say this. We have no power inside of us, of our own being. We have no power to make anything happen tonight except if your spirit moves. Father, I don't have words to speak, but you do. So I pray simply right now that your words would be my words, that you would speak, that we would learn, that we would live this stuff out in our life, that as you speak and as you prompt inside of each one of these students in here, Father, that we would listen intently to what you would say and we would be quick to obey. Father, may that be true of us tonight as we dive into this subject, as we talk about what it looks like to be one generation away. So, Father, thank you for this night. May you speak boldly. And may we hear you and obey quickly. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, a few weeks ago, 
I was on a car ride driving, kind of a daddy-daughter date with my daughter in the back with me. And, uh, of course, obeying the law, going the speed limit in the right lane, doing everything you're supposed to do. Not really, but whatever. And uh, so I'm on a date with my daughter, so to speak. We do this from time to time. And I'm driving. And as I'm driving, out of nowhere, a cell phone goes flying past my head, hits the window, and lands on the dashboard. And I remembered in the moment that I had given my daughter my cell phone to play with as we were driving to keep her preoccupied, great parenting skills. And, and, and she just threw it out of nowhere. It goes flying past my head, hits the, da- uh, the, the windshield, lands on the dashboard, and she yells this out in the next moment. This crap doesn't work. <laughs> and in this moment, I'm like, I got to have a parenting moment. I got to pull over the car. I got to take her out, spank her, tell her she can't say that word. She can't talk like that. And then God arrested me in the moment. I just stopped, came to the realization, earlier that morning I was sitting on the couch with my wife's iPad, trying to get something done, and the internet just wouldn't connect, and I ended up throwing it against the couch saying, this crap doesn't work, and as I'm in the car realizing that I said this, and my daughter was around, and she had just done this, I realized in this moment, you can't miss this, I am copying myself in my daughter. I just am. She is picking up on everything that I do in my life. She is learning from what I do, and really, it's just copying inside of her. Now, everything doesn't copy, because if it did, she would be obedient all the time, which she's not. She's terrible sometimes, but I love her. But listen, in this process, we have to realize that we are constantly copying things inside of our culture, copying things to other people as I'm copying to my daughter. Now, if you don't understand that, let me ask you this question. How many of you actually know what this is? I'm so curious. I really am. Now, you may know what this is, but I would venture to say that some of you have never held one of these. You have? Come on. These things are retro and coming back, baby. I like it. This is a cassette tape, right? Come on. Come on. So I'm talking about. Vinyls are coming back in, too. That's pretty cool. But listen, we didn't have MP3 files when I was growing up, man. We didn't have that stuff. It wasn't as easy as downloading a file onto my iPhone and carrying it around with me. The very first cassette tape I owned was Bone Thugs and Harmony. Do not judge me in this moment. If you know who that is, shame on you. Shame on you. We should not know it. But I had a Bone Thugs and Harmony cassette tape. So excited to get my first one. That kind of thing. But what you have to understand is this. If one of my friends had something that I wanted, like a cassette tape that I want to listen to, and I didn't want to buy it, and don't judge me, because you know you don't buy your music and you get it somewhere, whatever. But if you wanted that, listen, this is what had to happen. Literally, if you wanted a copy, you would have to take their cassette tape. You would have to place it in one side of this boombox recorder thing, take a blank tape, put it in the other side, press play, and then it would audibly record on the other cassette tape what it was playing, my generation's technology, yes, right? But it was terrible because in this recording, it was literally an audible recording. So if somebody was in the room and coughed, guess what? You got a cough on your cassette tape. And so what would literally happen is people would make recordings of recordings. And then when they wanted it, they'd go back and they'd get another cassette tape and, take, and make a recording of the recording. And then they'd make a recording of the recording of the recording of the recording. And by the way, you, you would get down the line at some spot, listen to Britney Spears, that wasn't a cassette back then, but you'd be listening to something. And, and 
you couldn't even tell what the original was because it was a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. It would get so fuzzy with every edition of a copy of the cassette tape, the quality, quality got a little less, got a little bit more fuzzy, got a little unclear, and you would begin to lose what the original quality and copy actually had. Now, what's the point of all this? The point is this, that really the same process is happening in our lives. It's happening in our culture. It's happening in your schools. See, the same process is going on with your characters, with your morals, with your beliefs, with your faith. Man, this stuff in copying is losing its original quality in the content, and you have to understand that. And that's why this quote from Ronald Reagan challenged me so much. And the quote says this. It says, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. And man, this quote hit me hard, and I started to realize, started to think about it. We have to copy something into someone else to actually pass it on. And I began to think, well, if this is true for freedom, man, that is so true of our character. Our character is never more than one generation away from being extinct. Our faith, if we're not making copies of it, is never more than one generation away from being extinct. Church as we know it, this youth group, is never more than one generation away from being extinct if we're not passing it on. And the danger inside of that is this is happening inside your generation. This is happening inside your schools. Any Twitter fans? Any tweeters? That's always awkward to say. You tweet? I'm a tweeter, man. It's awesome. Listen, if you're a tweeter out there, I, one of my lifelong favorite things, lifelong, Twitter's been around for like a month, uh, one of my favorite things to do ever since Twitter came out is to look up hashtags. You ever looked up hashtags just because? It's kind of fun. I went up in some of my favorites where I, I looked up the hashtag, hashtag unlikely sequels. I love that. Titanic 2 was the number one hit on that. Just an unlikely sequel. I, I like looking up crappy superpowers. I just like looking that up. It's so funny to me. The number one uh, crappy superpower out there that's hashtags is having the ability to win every debate because nobody likes someone that wins debates. It's like, why would you want that? But then I got to a point where I started catching on. There's all these different hashtags. And then a, a, another pastor posted something that I saw on Twitter that absolutely disturbed me. He had found a hashtag that said, hashtag abortion clinic playlist. And what intrigued me when I looked it up is I found that the people participating in this hashtag was your generation. It was high school students. And so they were posting, laughing, enjoying it. And the hashtag, again, was abortion clinic playlist. And some of the songs that were listed and participated by your generation were Disco Inferno, Burn Baby Burn, Another One Bites the Dust, Mama Said Knock You Out, Bye 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 by NSYNC. Celebrate good times. You had a bad day. And what I've begun to see is that characters and morals are fading. Not only in characters and morals, but in our faith as well. I look at a generation and you guys that can have passion, so much passion towards your faith. And yet have so little understanding behind it that the biblical knowledge is just not there. And I want to show you what actually takes place. 
See, what takes place, and you can probably understand this in gossip. See, what actually happens is the first time you hear it, the first time something is passed on, the first generation, it's very clear, it's very vivid. The first generation accepts the truth. They know it to be truth and they accept it. Well, then they pass it on and what happens is the next generation assumes the truth from what they've heard. Now, when they pass it on, the next generation confuses the truth as it begins to fade and it gets passed on so far at some point, they just all together lose the truth. Same thing happens in gossip. When I caught the fish, it was one foot big. Now it's... 15 feet big after the next person. And this happens time and time and time again in our character and in our faith as well. You can't miss that. But there's a flip side to all of this. If, if it's true that we're one generation away from losing our, our faith, our, our character, our morals, if we're one generation away from losing the church as we know it, if we're not making copies of it, then there's got to be a flip side of this, Right? Man, that means we've got to be one generation away from a revival. This means we have to be one generation away from watching our friends far from God come to know him. This means we're one generation away from seeing God move in a way that we've never seen him before. One generation away. Making a copy and passing it on to those that are around us. We are close. And so, I want to say this. And I want you to hear me, look at me. I think your generation is the most important generation that has ever come when it comes to faith. Your generation will decide what we do with the gospel next. Your generation will decide where our characters, where our character, our morals, and our faith go. You are the key element in this whole equation. Because never before has it looked so bad. Hear me. What you do with your faith has never been more important. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to take a look at a generation in the Bible that is much like you, that was facing the same circumstance, that would have walked around a high school hall the same as yours and would have experienced the same things. And in order to do that, I need you to open up your Bibles, grab them. Let's turn and take a look at a generation in Judges chapter 2. And we're going to begin at verse 6. Again, if you grab your Bibles, which are under your chairs, in front of your chairs, we're going to page 239. We're going to take a look at a generation in Judges chapter 2. Verses 6 through 10 is what we're going to read. Page 239. Judges chapter 2. Two. Grab your Bibles and open them up. As you're getting there, let me give you a little context as to what we're going to be diving into, what's actually going on in this point of Scripture. So, if you know anything about the Israelite nation, you know that they were God's chosen people throughout the Old Testament. They represented him. They worshipped him sometimes. They were, they were in relationship with God. And what you have to understand is that God appointed Moses to be the leader of this nation, to take them out of captivity, to lead them to the promised land. But there came a time when Moses had to pass on his leadership to Joshua. And he passes on his leadership. And we're about to jump in a point of scripture where his leadership, Joshua's leadership, is about to go away. And a generation of Israel is about to grow up in a different way. But understand this. At this point, 
This Israelite nation, God's chosen people, has already witnessed miracles that are performed by God on their behalf for their benefit. They have a God that has deeply loved them, that has been with them, that has guided them, and now we're about to dive in and see something twist and turn in a way that should never happen again. Judges chapter 2, starting at verse 6. If you would stand with me as we read the word of God. Oh yes, I'm going to make you stand. Judges chapter 2, verse 6, let's read the word of God, may it speak to us. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. A generation that had witnessed all of these things that God had done for them. you got to catch that now, verse 8. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, the leader of Israel, died at the age of 110. Verse 9, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath-Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. Now here's the verse I want you to hear. Let's get in here. Verse 10, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, pause, What that's saying is after Joshua had died, after everyone had gathered with their ancestors, died, literally everyone had died, that knew what God had done, had witnessed what he had done for the Israelite nation, after all of them died, jump back in, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Grab a seat. You can't miss what verse 10 just said. What you have to understand is that when a whole generation passed away that was witnessing what God was doing inside of their lives, the things that he had blessed them with, that he had fought for them, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord or what he had done for them. And I want to take a closer look at verse 10 so we can actually get a glimpse for what this is really saying. And I have a highlighted word up here on purpose. So let's dive in and read. It says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew. What's that word? Knew. Say it. Come on. You got to hear that. Knew. Neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now, if you know anything about scripture, if you don't learn this, This was not originally written in in English. You guys understand that? Not originally written in English. was translated into English. But in the original Hebrew in which this was written in, the word new doesn't really get to what they're actually saying in this verse. So I want to take a look at the actual Hebrew and what it was saying. The word new or to know means yada. Can you say it? Go. Yada. It's actually yada. I got it wrong. Yada. Say yada. Let's do that. Yada. It's Hebrew. And what it actually means, don't miss that. Come right here. It means to know personally by experience. Hear that again. The word new in the original Hebrew, yare, meant to know personally by experience. Now let's go back and see what that's really saying. After that whole generation had been gathered to the ancestors, another generation grew up who knew, meaning did not personally know, neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. You absolutely cannot miss that, and here's why. The Judges chapter 2, verse 10 generation did not have a problem in awareness. They had a problem in experience. 
you got to understand this. If you grew up in the Israelite nation, there wasn't a chance that they didn't know of God. It was in their heritage. It was the way they grew up. They were taught this. They knew of God. They knew he exists. But the difference in what this is actually saying, and don't miss this, they didn't know him personally by experience. And listen, when I look at your generation, look at me, when I look at high schoolers and I see you guys, I see a generation that knows of God. But man, do you personally know him by experience? Because I don't see a whole lot of that. We don't have an awareness problem here in Georgia. If you haven't checked, there's more churches than trees down here, man. It's crazy. You can take a drive down Buford Drive, and you're going to see about 30 churches on the way. We don't have an awareness problem. We have a personal experience problem, and it is in your generation. Do not miss that. This generation did not personally know who God was because of social media and its way of working inside of your generation. I, I picture your guys' generation, your generation, your relationships as a pool that's a thousand yards wide but one inch deep. You know so many different people, but you don't actually know them. And the problem is that's carrying over into your spirituality. Because this generation in Judges did not personally experience, personally know God, there was a cycle that began to form inside their life, inside of their generation, and it's often referred to as the sin cycle of Judges. This is what this whole book is actually about, that the Israelite nation began to go through this cycle with God, and the cycle would always begin with their sin nature, that they would sin, and in their sin, that would lead to servitude, which literally meant they were held captive by their sins. And what it would actually look like in Judges is they would begin to sin by worshiping other false idols, and then because of that, those nations that had those gods would, cap would, would take them captive and be over their life, and that would lead to supplication in their life where they would cry out to God, we're so sorry, forgive us, we don't want this, and what would happen, hence the name of the book, Judges, is God would send a judge, which was someone that would speak on his behalf to the Israelite nation to give them a clue as to what their sin was and to have them repent and to go back before the Lord. And what would happen is they would do that in their supplication and they would experience salvation in a way and become right relationship with God, fully worshiping him again. And then there would be a silent period and again they would drift into sin. And what you have to understand about the book of Judges is that this generation would continually go in this process, through this cycle, time and time again, but it wasn't the same sin. What would happen is they would go through this cycle, get back around, and the sin would begin, begin to get even worse than the first time. And let me explain it in terms that you might not understand. This happens to your generation all the time. I mean, I've watched high schoolers that engage with pornography. They start out with pornography in their life. They start with this sin, and then they get, they, they get this this churning inside of their heart where they understand that it's wrong and they, and they begin to realize that they need to turn away from that and they feel guilty and they cry out to God and they say, save me from us, I don't want to do this anymore. And then they feel like they're renewed in God and then the silent period takes place again and then they come back to this and it's no longer pornography, it's not good enough. They get into a relationship with someone, a guy or a girl, and they begin to cross boundaries physically in that relationship. And then they go through this whole process again and while they weren't having sex the first time, they come back around they're like, man, sex isn't that bad, let's have sex. They dive into sex and they just keep Keep going throughout this cycle time and time and time again. And I watched this play out. And here's what I want you to hear. This generation in Judges had to break this cycle. 
They had to. And your generation as well has to break this cycle. Well, how do you break it? In order to break it, you have to understand why it takes place in the first place. So I want you to see this. Verse 19, if you were to turn your page over, says this and gives us a little bit insight into what was actually taking place. Check this out. Verse 19, it says, but when the judge died, stop. What you have to understand is when it says this, this was the judge, the person that was representing God to the people, speaking to them, bringing truth, saying, listen, you shouldn't be doing this. God doesn't want you to do this. Stop. The person that represented God died. And what you have to understand is when they died, silence took place. They lost the leader that they had. That's literally like showing up to the point in Derek not existing. You show up and there's no one to speak. There's no one to leave. That's literally what they would go through. And there was a moment of silence for this nation. And it continues. The people then what? What's that word? Returned. They returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. You got to hear this. I'm going to go back. The bridge from salvation to sin, the bridge from being in in this relationship where you're on fire for God, where you experience him in ways you've never experienced him before, to sin, that bridge is silence. What do you do when God is silent in your life? For this generation, when God got silent, they began to drift back into sin. And so tonight, what do you do with silence. What you need to understand and know is you need to know this about God. Write this down. God is a well, not a pool. You're sitting sitting there going, this is crazy. Whatever. Listen, God is a well, not a pool. See, we often treat God as if he's a pool in our life. And what we do is when we have this moment, we're like, oh, I want to be in the presence of God. We think we can just run and jump and do a cannonball, belly flop, whatever your style is, back into the pool. And we're like, God, you're here. Let me soak in your presence. This is awesome. This is amazing. And listen, there are moments in our lives where where it's going to be like that, where you're going to feel the experience of God in your life. It's going to be so unfair. You're going to go to camp, and you're going to experience him in new ways. You're going to say, you're amazing, God. I love you. And we continue to treat God as if he's a pool. Like we can choose whenever it's convenient in our life to run and jump into his presence. But listen to me. God is not a pool. God is a well. If you've ever seen a well, what it is is literally you have to dig into the ground and get down to the water. And when you would get to the water, you would then be able to put a pail down and draw water from it. But if you know anything about a well, you know that eventually the well is going to dry up. And what happens in our spirituality is we, be, we, we view God as a pool, and we think we should bask in, 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 around him and be around him all the time in these moments. He should constantly be speaking to us, and that he should never go away. And when it dries up, we think that God has left us, that he's deserted us. And I want you to hear this. God is not a pool. He's a well. See, when the water dries up, that's because he wants you to dig even deeper. That's because he wants you to go even farther after him. And my question to you is this. When, when God's presence, when he gets silent in your life, which he will, when he does that, do you drift or dig? What do you do? See, because God is just begging you to go even farther to go even further, to dig deeper, to go to a level that you've never been at before, to get the more that he has for you. So when you leave a place like this, like the point, go home, go back to school, 
surrounded by people that aren't followers. I want you to do all these different things. When, when you ask God, when you go in your private time, when you beg him to speak to you, when he's sometimes silent, do you drift or dig? I promise you this. If you dig, you will find him, and he will take you to places that you've never experienced before. Wells must continually be dug out. You must continually go after God in your life. It is the way that he works. So, if we want to stop the cycle, so to speak, of sin in our life, if we want the more that he has for us in our life, what do we actually do? What's something practical that we can actually do in our life, that we can go out and do this to break the cycle, to, to literally copy our faith in the next generation behind us, to show them what God has done for us so we don't become like the generation in Judges chapter 2? Check this out. Here's the first thing. Stop trading what is true for what is tangible. Write that down. Stop trading what is true for what is tangible. What did the generation do in Judges chapter 2? Check it out. But when the judge died, silence, the people returned, went back to, to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods. What did they do? They traded in the truth of who they knew God was and left him because he was silenced and went back to the idols that were statues formed right in front of him. They turned away and gave up what was true for what was tangible and around him. And you may be sitting in your seat looking at me saying, Sean, man, I worship God. I don't trade him in for something that's tangible. Do you spend more time watching TV or with God? Do you spend more time with the person you're dating in your relationship or with God? I'll tell you, where we spend our time is often our God. Are you trading in what is true inside of Scripture, diving after him for what is tangible around you? You better watch out if you are. If you want to break a cycle of sin in your life, if you want to be able to copy your faith in someone else, you better break that. Second one, they can't know him if we don't show them. I'm going to say it again. They can't know him, meaning God, that should be capitalized, my fault. They can't know him if we don't show them. All right. I want you guys all to look at me. Put your pens, paper down right now. Everybody look at me. Everybody touch your nose. This isn't Simon Says. Get it up there. Here we go. Touch your nose and follow me. Touch your chin. Touch your lips. Touch your forehead. Touch your ear. Touch your nose. Touch your chin. Touch your nose. Touch your ear. Touch your chin. Touch your ear. Look at me. Look at me right now. People do what people see. People do what people see. You may walk into your school halls and say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but they can't know him if you don't show them. It doesn't matter what you say. They will watch what you do. Are you living what you say? Never miss that. They can't know him if you don't show them. Third thing, change your patterns with people. There's a reoccurring pattern that I'm watching forming in your generation, and it's killing me. And I want to address it with you guys, and I want you guys to see. I hope you'll give me freedom to do that. No? Okay, I'm going to do it anyway. So here we go. Jesus often demonstrates a pattern in Scripture when he interacts with a person. And Jesus' pattern would be this. He first demonstrates to someone that they are valuable to him. Read Scripture. Go read every single story. Zacchaeus. Read all of these different things that he inter interacts with people. The very first thing he does for them is he demonstrates that they are valuable to him. And when they realize that, he then sits there and listens. 
He allows them to talk about what's going on in their life. He allows them to say what they actually believe about him. And after they get done talking, after he gets done listening, the next thing that happens is that he then brings truth into the conversation. Now, we have a pattern in our life as well, even as followers of Jesus Christ. And we have to be very careful on this. If you want to copy your faith onto the next generation, to the friend that does not know God, you better know this about us and, and watch out for it. Be warned. Our pattern is this. We often lead with truth. We'll walk up to someone and be like, well, bro, man, you're smoking weed. You're drink- That's so wrong. You know that, man. You can't do that. What are you doing? We lead with truth in relationships with people that don't even know Jesus. They don't even know better. And then after we lead with truth and tell them what the truth is and, and almost condemn them, we then sit back and listen to what they have to say about it. And most people that don't know God that get led in with truth will be like, man, I don't want a part of that. You mean you just judged me. You just did it. And listen. We listen after we tell them the truth, and what happens next is we basically devalue them if they don't agree with our beliefs. Man, watch out for that. Notice that Jesus did not do that. He valued the person first, listened, and then when they gave him permission or let him speak, he brought the truth of the situation. Don't reverse that. We have done that in the church so much, and that is a very dangerous thing to do. Here's the last statement I want you to hear. You can't demonstrate to someone that they matter to Jesus until you've demonstrated that they matter to you first. If you want your friend who does not know the Lord to know your faith so that we don't have to go through a generation that does not know him, you better demonstrate to them first that they matter to you. Because then they'll ask you why. I'll say, well, dude, why do you care so much about me? you be like, man, because Jesus loves you. Demonstrate to someone that they matter to you and they'll want to know why, and then you can demonstrate to them that they matter to Jesus. Don't get that wrong. So that's what I got, but I want to end with this. I, want to, I just want a moment with the seniors. I am the college pastor here, and this is for everyone else as well, but listen to this. Seniors, I want to say something to you. As you graduate high school, as you move on to college, I want you to hear this. There will never be a season of life, your volunteers, your your small group leaders, everybody can attest to this. There will never be a season in life like college that will test you the most in your faith. It is for you to own in that season. And hear this, there will be moments where God is silent because he wants you to dig deeper. But you will be surrounded by a community that will tell you it's because he doesn't exist. You have a choice to make. You can either drift or dig in your college years. And hear me say this. If you are graduating this year from high school and going on to college, be a part of College at 12 Stone for this summer. I don't care if you're going up to Alaska. I don't know why you would ever want to go there. But say you're going there for school. We want to help you, partner with you, to help you find a local church to dive into, to get connected to near your college. Be at College at 12 Stone so we can help you do that over this summer. Seniors as well, hear this. As you move on and go to college, these younger classmen are going to watch you. You have influence over their life. They will see what you do with your faith in college, and they will probably follow suit. Pass your faith on to the next generation so we don't find ourselves one generation away from our faith being extinct. Don't do that. Let me pray for you as the band comes up. Father, thank you so much for your word and what you have to say to us. 
And Father, I pray this. I just pray over this generation that you would give them insight into what you have for them next. That although they've experienced you and maybe they know you and they're following you, but Father, the truth is this, that's not everything you have for them. You have more for every student in this room. That if they would just continually dig and go after that more, that they would experience you in new ways. And Father, I pray in the moments when you test them and you're silent and you're just waiting to find out if they'll dig deeper, I pray, God, I I just pray this generation, these high school students, they would have the character, the morals to go after you even more. Father, I know for myself that in the moments of my life when you are silent, I realize it's because I'm in the middle of a test. Well, you're testing my morals or my character, and the truth is this. Even at high school, when we're in a test, the teacher doesn't speak. So, Father, in those moments, may they draw near to you. And one of my favorite points of Scripture, God, is, you know, is is Job chapter 32, and, and we're still praying. Father, I, I just want to read this as a prayer over these, these high school students. So if you're a high school student right now, just put your arms around one another, man. Get close to each other. Hug your friends. Put your arms out there, and let's receive this point of Scripture as prayer as we go to God. And so, Father, I, I want to read as we're praying to you. It's Job chapter 32, and you know the story of Job. Father, you wrote it. You know Job was struggling in his life and you were testing him and and there was moments where you were silent in that testing and he just cried out, didn't know why his life was breaking in front of him, why things were going so bad. And men started to come up to him and try to explain, well, Job, you must have done something wrong or God wouldn't have done this. And then there's a moment where a young man named Elihu walked up and was listening to these old men talk to Job. And try to convince him that Job had done something wrong when he had it. And, and I just watched him walk up. And Father, I want to read this point of Scripture. This is Elihu as he addresses Job and these two men. He says this. I am young in years and you are old. That is why I was fearful, not daring to tell you what I know. I thought age should speak. Advanced years should teach wisdom. But it is the spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty, that gives them understanding. It is not only the old who are wise, not only the aged who understand what is right, but those with the spirit of the Lord inside of them. And so, Father, I pray right now over this generation that if they would call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, if they would live according to that, if they've made that decision in their life, then we know based on your scripture that there's a promise to them that they have your Holy Spirit inside of them, with them, walking with them, directing them. And Father, I pray this right now over these high school students, that in the moments when you're silent, that they would dig so deep for you, and that in the moments when they read their word, when they open it up and dive into what you would have to say for them, Father, I pray that your spirit would give them wisdom beyond their years to understand what it is to follow you, to give them wisdom beyond their years to understand what it looks like to walk into a high school where the majority of the people around them don't believe this. I pray that you would give them wisdom to understand through your spirit what it is to have the courage to walk up to someone that they don't even know. Demonstrate to them that they love them and care for them, that they are cherished only because Jesus Christ first loved all of us. Father, may you bless these high school students. Give them favor as they go after you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.